Greg. We love Greg. Greg's awesome. And uh, all these speakers, they're my friends. You know, like, I, I like these people. I love these people. And so it's just cool to have. Let's do the, the cool hug. Like, this, um, this is where we hug. And we're like, we really like each other. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, thank you, man. Oh, um, glory to God. Right for you right here. No, I'm right here. Right. Okay, yeah, cool. we, we figured right. it out. Amen. It's all good. Glory to God. We figured it out. Um, it's just awesome to be here with all you guys. It's uh, just an honor to share Jesus with everyone. Um, it's an honor to, to stand up here and be able to share Jesus with all the other, with all the other ministers um, that are here. And um, one of us might water. One of us might plant, one of us might plant, one of us might water, one of us might plant, one of us might sow now, one of us might water later. But man, it's God that gives the increase. Amen. And, and uh, for the ministers, I mean, I can say this to everybody, but for the ministers, it could help us to know that it's God that giveth the increase. I'm not giving any increase, right? And none of the other ministers are giving any increase. Right. And whether we get to water or we get to plant, man, let us just rejoice in the increase when it comes. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, you guys bear with me one second while I fix this. Um, so it doesn't shut off. I always forget what I'm going to talk about. It's like, what are we here for? Um, I, I know what I believe. I believe that the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. That's what I believe. Um, but before I get into what I believe about that, you guys just bear with me because before the conference, I just found myself praying in the Spirit um, just about all the ministers, right? And... Um, I got some, some pictures for some of the ministers, and um, I don't know what you guys believe about giving words of wisdom, words of knowledge to people, but I, I don't believe that anything I say, you have to take it. And so if it doesn't witness with you, throw it in a garbage can, right? Because I just got a picture, and sometimes I might not even know what the picture means, right? And so I'm just going to say some of the pictures that I got before I get started, um, and uh, just let the Holy Spirit do what it does. But, but Robert and Cindy, you guys, I got a picture of you guys. And um, the picture I got first was the, uh, the pierced hands of Jesus and the pierced feet of Jesus. It wasn't just the hands, it was both the hands and the feet pierced. And I saw you guys ministering the, the one who was pierced to people. And um, it was like you were saying, peace be unto you as you were ministering, the one who was pierced for everyone. Um, and I didn't get a lot more clarity about it, but I just saw you guys holding out your hands, and it was almost as if your hands were pierced. And it wasn't that your hands were pierced, but it was almost like the people could see the pierced hands of Jesus as you guys were ministering to people. They, it was like they could see the one who was pierced, right, as you guys um, were ministering to them. And I actually started to weep. Um, and it wasn't sadness, it was like mercy, you know? It was like an overwhelming feeling of mercy that I felt as I saw the piercing. I'd never seen the piercing so clearly in my whole life. And I, I mean, I was saved and filled with the Holy Spirit when I was three years old. And so I've been thinking about the one who's been pierced my whole life. And uh, it was just so vivid. Um, Gwen and Brad, 
ministers to ministers. Um, I saw you guys showing so many people a more excellent way. And um, it was a powerful thing, not just an individual ministry to the people that you were showing a more excellent way, but almost like uh, Apollos in the scriptures, where I think it was Priscilla and Aquila, and, and we've kind of talked about this before, that they found Apollos and he had a part of the gospel and he spoke it, right? And then Priscilla and Aquila come along and showed him a more excellent way. I see you guys ministering to ministers everywhere and showing them a more excellent way that they might have a piece of the gospel. And I see you guys coming alongside of them and showing them what the scriptures call a more excellent way. And uh, Gwen, I just see your... They talked about Paul's letters were, were weighty. Your steps are weighty. I don't know how else to say it. And they're not heavy, but they're weighty. Almost like it talked about the feet of Jesus in Revelation where they were bronze and of a fire. And I see with your steps coming the judgment of Jesus. And what I mean by your steps carrying the weightiness of the judgment of Jesus, the judgment of Jesus is that God is the Father that the world needs right? That he's the only one that can give their lives the care that they need. And I see your steps. Every time you preach, I see it. That step. We, we, where I'm from, we call it a swagger, right? It's like a swagger, but it's more than just like a natural swagger. There's like a, a weightiness. It's just a stomping of the judgment of God, that God is your father, that only a father would lay down his life for his children, right? Um, just a beautiful thing. Um, trying to... Remember, glory to God. Bill and Angela, man, I saw, I saw the people that the world calls poor. I saw you guys declaring to them they were rich because of faith. And I just saw them uh, being exalted, right? Being exalted in the eyes of the Father and seeing that they were exalted in the eyes of the Father and them no longer feeling poor. Right? And them no longer feeling poverty stricken, but them seeing that they were rich, that they had the treasure, that they had the gold that had been tried in the fire, the faith that Jesus brought into the earth. And I just saw people walking around just yeah. filled with the riches of the kingdom yeah. um, through you guys. Uh, Rick and Judy, man, I saw... With, at first, I didn't see you guys. I saw a bunch of people in the throne room almost like holding hands and just spinning around like a nursery yard. And I thought, well, I don't see anybody here. What's this about? And then I saw you guys bringing people in there, and they were joining into the, the, the circle in the throne room, just enjoying the presence of God and innocence. And I was like, Lord, what is this? And it was like, you, you guys are helping people to feel that God's okay with them, that there's, there's, he's not scrutinizing them. Right. And uh, like Arthur, Arthur Manchez says, I go way back listening to Arthur. God likes human. And I just saw people through you guys come into the place where they saw God like them. And I saw them coming into the presence of God with an unconcealed heart. Right. Where they were no longer examining themselves because they had seen that God was not examining them. And uh, it was just a beautiful, beautiful picture uh, Gregory and Sherry, I saw you guys in the bosom of the Father. Um, and the first time I ever met Gregory, I thought, well, I've seen the Father. And I, I didn't know exactly 
how to say it, but it keeps growing. But I saw you guys in the bosom of the Father. You know, like it talks about John resting on the bosom of Jesus and that Jesus come from the bosom of the Father. And I saw you guys bringing all kinds of people to the place where they were just resting on the bosom. Kind of like you just saw me resting on Jeremiah's bosom, right, just now, because he's a big guy. And I was just, ah. I see people with their heads just leaning over into the bosom of the Father and just feeling that, ah. I, I lived in Colorado for a while, and we would go snowboard, go big or go home. You know, you get up in the back bows of ale, and you're just getting at it. But one of the cool things is after, you go get in a hot tub, right? And it'd be blizzarding big snowflakes and you would go get in the hot tub and as you sat in the hot tub you're like ah that's how I felt this ah just coming over people like this quietness this relaxation um from you guys just it's like you were I don't even know what it it was like you were swaying here right into the bosom of the father um Jeremiah yours seemed like obvious at first and I was like well this just seems like my own imagination um, and maybe you'll conclude that. Um, but I saw Samson. I think it's Samson. He's the one with the hair, right? And that's why I thought this has got to be my own imagination because Jeremiah's got, like, great hair. Your strength isn't in your hair. <laughs> yes, there is something wrong on the inside of me. Uh, and you know, the thing is, is Samson's strength wasn't actually in his hair. People think it was because he never cut it, but it was part of a Nazarene vow, which was the point was you weren't trusting in the strength of man's hands. You saw the strength of man's hands as weakness, so you never took a razor to your head, right? And so what's interesting is the, the strength of God, I mean, Samson did many things, but at the end, when the strength of God really manifested in Samson, is when he had no hair and when he was full of all weakness. And uh, he pulled down death and the system of death onto himself. Well, that's the Lord Jesus. His, Samson's hands were on the pillars. Jesus' hands were on the cross. Samson pulled down the system of death onto himself. He capitulated onto himself so he could bring it into an end. And the Lord Jesus capitulated the system of sin and death onto himself on the cross in the place where it looked like he was the weakest he could ever be is in the place where the very life of God manifested in what we called weakness and brought the system of death to an end. And so what I got for you was that, and I don't even know what this means, but I'll just say it. Your strength is in your weakness. And I don't know what your weakness is. I don't know what it is to you, but your strength is there. Um, and, man, I could just keep going, but then I'll, I won't get to a message here. Rick, Rick Sarver. Rick Sarver, the vision I had of Rick Sarver was uh, Stephen, kind of. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Lord, and I thought... Lord, this is not good because Stephen got stoned to death. <laughs> I'm thinking, I like Rick. I am not wanting Rick to be stoned to death. You understand what I'm saying? And so he's like, no, 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 no. Keep, keep looking. And so I kept seeing Rick saying, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. I just kept seeing him say that like he was a broken record on repeat. And all of a sudden, I got what it meant. And what it means, what I saw, brother, you can decide if it be true or not, but that many people's hearts are going to be pricked, right? 
from the love of God that comes manifesting out of you. Many times we don't make this connection in Scripture, but a guy named Saul was standing there. And it was immediately after Stephen got stoned that Saul went walking away. And that's when Jesus said, how long will you kick against the prick, Saul? And I'm telling you, Saul's heart was pricked when he saw a guy that had a life that cared more about him as he was stoning him to death. And that pricked Stephen, that pricked Saul's heart. How could Stephen pray for me when I was despitefully using him? How could Stephen bless me when I was cursing him? That guy's got something I don't have. And he went away pricked. And I just see people that come in contact with you with the prick. And they're going to hear the voice of Jesus. How long will you kick against the prick? How long will you kick against the prick? And uh, you can't kick against the prick. Not even Saul, who Paul himself said, I'm the chief of all sinners. Right? It's that self-sacrificing love. The kind of love where you prefer somebody's life over your own. The kind of love that when somebody's nailing you to a tree, you're more concerned about the hurt they're feeling than the hurt that's happening to you. I'm talking about the kind of love that can only come out of somebody that the Father has given birth to himself inside of. The kind of love where you're blessing someone when they curse you. The kind of love where you pray for someone when they despitefully use you. That's what I see coming out of you. That's what I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. Right? Um, glory to God. I don't know if that means anything, but I feel happy about it. And I felt happy, I felt happy when I, I saw it. And so, um, is it okay with you guys if I just pray? Yeah. And somebody cut me off. Because I'm not, cut me off, brother, when I've run my hour. Okay, yeah, five will be good, so I can jump to where I want to get to. Um, Thank you, Father, for filling us with power from on high. Thank you, Father, for baptizing us in the fire of your life. Let your life be as a consuming fire tonight and forevermore, consuming everything that stands opposed to us experiencing your life. Amen. Amen. I'm not here to preach a good message. So if you're hoping to get a good message, I'm not the one. Right? I didn't come here to speak eloquently or with uh, words of, of man's wisdom where you're impressed by my vocabulary or my eloquence of speech. I came to be a witness of the resurrection. Yes, yes. That's what I came to be. And the baptism of fire. You know, John said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after you, me that will baptize you in fire. And if you notice on the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit was poured out, there was a cloven tongue of fire over their heads. And that cloven tongue of fire is the fire of God's life. And they were immersed in a life that consumes, because God is a consuming fire. His life is a consuming fire. And they were baptized and immersed in a life that consumes sin and death to the uttermost, to where it leaves it in the place where it doesn't exist anymore. Do you see the cloven tongue of fire over my head? I see it over your heads. And it's a consuming fire. And whatever it is that's standing against your life, Whatever it is that's accusing you right now, whatever it is that's pointing at you and trying to uncover your nakedness, you've been baptized in the fire of God's life. And if you don't know whether you have the Holy Spirit or not, you could see me after and I will lay hands on you and we will pray for the baptism of the fire. Glory to God. You have the fire of God's life inside of you. You've been immersed in it. It's a consuming fire. It come to consume death. It come to consume sin. And it come to consume it on your behalf. That's right. 
Because God's a jealous God. What that means is, is he loves your life. And he knows nothing else can give you life. So he come to make it clear that he's the lover of your life by coming in the person of Jesus and consuming death in the body of his resurrection. And so when I think of ministry, and I think of ministering, I think of the works of the devil being destroyed in people's lives. That's what I think of. That's what I want. That's what I'm after. That's the greatest joy in ministry. Money is not some ministry. You don't need some money. When Paul talked about he rejoiced in what was imputed to their account, he was talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The reward of a minister is to see people come alive. To see the life of God born in them. To see fear sent away from them. To see anger sent away from them. To see gossiping and backbiting and hatred and envy and sent away from them. Because they don't like it. I never met a person filled with hatred that said, Hallelujah! I love me some hatred. We got this jacked up thinking where people love it or something. It doesn't feel nice. Hatred doesn't produce peace. Envy doesn't produce peace. And so when I think of ministry, I think of destroying the works of the devil. And I'm thinking of 1 John 3, where it says the Son of God was manifested for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, we know Jesus was always the Son of God. Right? He was the Son of God when he was born as a baby in Bethlehem. He was the Son of God as he was 10 years old in the synagogue teaching the Pharisees. He was the Son of God when he was nailed to the cross. But when John says, for this purpose, was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. He was talking about the resurrected Jesus. That's, it. That's what he was talking about, the resurrected Jesus. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 1 that Jesus was revealed to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. That's when he was revealed to be the Son of God with power. Power over what? Death. Didn't look like he had power over death when he was on the cross. But you know what my man was doing? Absorbing the death that was tormenting his people into his own body. Because inside of that body that could perish was an incorruptible seed. A seed that can't perish. A seed that even should all death come upon it, it will consume that death from the inside out. John begins his letter, that which was from the beginning. Which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have handled, which we have touched, which we have held. Of the word of life. He's talking about the resurrected Jesus. People were saying Jesus wasn't physically raised, that he was a spirit. And so John's like, no, 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 no. I touched glorified immortal flesh. We ate with that dude. He was not a spirit. We touched him. Death was actually consumed inside of his body. Well, you've got to have a body with death that's been consumed in it if you're going to destroy the works of the devil in people's lives that also have bodies. We need to know someone has the power to destroy the death that has come inside or upon our bodies. What are the works of the devil? The devil wants to fill you with fear. And there's different layers of this onion. But he wants to fill you with fear. And the weapon of his warfare is death. That's the weapon of his warfare. Hebrews 2 said that Satan, the devil, had the power of death. Hebrews 2 goes on and says that he was able to keep us in bondage all our days through the fear of death. And death is not just, I'll go to a grave one day. That's part of the death. But death is anything that's inconsistent with life. Do you know what fills us with fear and shame? When we see something in our lives that is inconsistent with life. 
And when we see something that we think is inconsistent with life, something that isn't born from an incorruptible life, we are being confronted with the accusation of the evil one. That's how he works it. That's what he does. Before Jesus, go read Hebrews 2. It shocked me when I read it. Satan had the power of death. I was like, what? Before Jesus came, Satan had the keys to Hades. And he was able to hold us in captivity to sin through death. It's the sting of death that is sin. And so he comes and stings us with death. And he fills our hearts with fear. And then he shuts us up under the power of the grave. And no one could overcome the grave. No man could come out of the grave. None of us could conquer it. None of us could take back the keys of Hades. Death was our giant. It was our Goliath. And it stood opposed to us. And it was all the time uncovering our nakedness and filling us with fear and shame. And none of us could decapitate the giant. You know, something interesting about Jesus being crucified, you know where David buried the head of Goliath? The place of the skull, Golgotha. You know what God prophesied that Jesus would do? Crush the serpent's head. I love what Bono from U2 says. People can love or hate Bono. You can have all your debates about whether or not you think he's a real Christian. But I heard Bono in an interview one time. You know, and he lost his father when he was really young, and his grandfather raised him. And then when he was at his grandfather's funeral, his mother dropped dead. And so his life was stung with death. And I was watching an interview with this guy, and you know what he said when he was in Israel? I went to the place where death died. I went to the place where death died. Now, you can't say something like that unless the Father of Lights has revealed that to you. He went to the place where death died. And so the devil points at the tribulation in the world. He points at the sickness, the disease, the recession, the governments, the viruses. He points at all those things, and he uses those things to try to convince us God's not here. Where's your God now? That's what he did with Jesus, isn't it? When the death of the universe was swimming upon this man, Jesus, he pointed at that body of death. Where's your God now? And so that's how Satan takes us captive. That's how he fills us with fear. He points at all the things that aren't consistent with life, and he uses those things to try to tell us God's not with us. He points at those things to try to convince us that we're lambs without a shepherd, that we're lambs being led away to the slaughter. And the reason why he's doing that is he's tempting us to look to our own strength to gather peace and love and joy to ourselves. Because if you enlist this together, Peace and love and joy to yourself. You know what you're going to heap upon yourself? The works of the flesh. Because when this flesh works to try to produce peace, do you know what this flesh will produce? Hatred. We're talking about the works of the devil. He wants to make your eyes sick. He wants to give you an evil eye. Do you know what an evil eye? It's a sick eye. And do you know what a sick eye is? It's an eye that the death in this world has been exalted in your sight. That's what he wants to do. And he wants to get that death exalted in your sight instead of God in the table of life God's prepared for you in Jesus. Isn't that what the psalmist says in Psalm 23? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The death that's all around me will not be lifted up in my heart. For you are with me, Lord. You are the shepherd of my life. You maketh me to lie down by preparing a table that's full of life in my presence while death is all around me. My cup runneth over. 
Now this will mess you up. We, we read Psalm 22 and we, we see Psalm 22 and we're like, yes, yes, that's a prophetic psalm about Jesus. And then we get to Psalm 23 and somehow it's no longer a prophetic psalm about Jesus. Psalm 24 is though, because here comes the King of Glory. Psalm 23 is Jesus on the cross. And do you know what he's saying? I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. But this death is not lifted up in my heart. For you are with me, Lord. You are the shepherd and bishop of my life. Go read Peter. It says that God, Jesus looked to the shepherd and bishop of his soul. Abba, into your hands I commit my life. It messed me up when I said, God, how does a guy nailed to a cross say his cup runneth over? And that's immediately when I knew I wanted a life that ain't at the mercy of this world. And I forsook everything I could gain from this world. I forsook everything I could gain from this life for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, that I might find the same faith that was in the Son of God's heart when he was nailed to the tree, born inside of me. I would apologize, but I'm not sorry anymore. I'm not. If you look at the first man, Adam, Satan uncovered his nakedness. It wasn't God who has uncovered his nakedness. That's why God said, who told you you were naked? And so Satan uncovered his nakedness. And Adam's sight was filled with his nakedness. And all he could see was the darkness of death all around him. Do you know, nakedness in the scripture speaks of not being clothed in life. Go read the Apostle Paul. He talks about nakedness all the time. And he's talking about his mortal body. And he's saying, I long for the day where this mortal body will be clothed upon with immortality. And so Adam's nakedness was uncovered. He saw death in himself. He had a body full of death. And he couldn't comprehend God anymore. He was blind to God. He could no longer see the goodness in God's heart. He could no longer see that God would be the father that he needed. He could no longer see that God would give his life the care that he needed. He couldn't see God was with him to love him. He couldn't see the father wouldn't suffer him to see corruption. He couldn't see the father wouldn't leave his soul in death. He couldn't see it anymore. So you know what he started trying to do? To clothe himself. And it says he was filled with fear when he didn't see the father was there anymore. And the death that was all around him was lifted up in his sight. We're talking about the works of the devil, don't you know? We don't even know what he's trying to do to us. We don't even know what he uses. My whole Christian life, I read what we know the devices of the serpent. I didn't know them. If you look at Jesus on the cross, the last man, the last Adam, Satan tried to sting his heart with fear. Do you know how he tried to sting his heart with fear? He uncovered Jesus' nakedness on the cross, his body of death. Look at you. Look at the death that's come upon you. Look at all the sin that's manifesting in your life. Are you really the son of God? Where's your God now? He was trying to sting Jesus' heart with fear so he could do the same thing to Jesus that he did to the first man, Adam, which was get Jesus to come down off the cross and try to clothe himself with life. Jesus didn't have the spirit of fear, though. He had the spirit of adoption. How do we know he had the spirit of adoption when he was on the cross? Because Paul come and said that the spirit of adoption leads you to the place where you cry out, Abba. Yeah. Now, what did Jesus cry out on the cross? Uh, yeah. Abba, into your hands I commit my life. You don't commit your, hands into the, your life into the hands of a person that you don't think is there. 
You can go read John 16 where Jesus says, the hour is coming where everyone will be scattered for me and it will look like I'm alone, but I am not alone because the Father is with me. Do you know what we need to see in the midst of this world? God with us. That's why Jesus came, because death had clouded and darkened our understanding. All we could see was the death. The death had gotten lifted up in our sight, and that death was a thick cloud, and we couldn't see God was with us to be the Father that we needed. So God came in the flesh. And he absorbed all of our sin into himself. And he didn't return evil for evil. He gave us good for the evil we gave him. And when we were filled with envy and hatred and backbiting and sin, and we poured it all out on him, the one who loves us, what did he do? He embraced us. Talking about destroying the works of the devil. You want to destroy the works of the devil? Ask God to pop open your eyes to see him with you everywhere you go. Right? It's easy to think God's with you when things are going good. How about when the world's nailing you to a tree? Because that's when the devil's coming to tempt you to think God's not there. And he's trying to tempt you to think God's not there. So you'll enlist your own ability to gather peace and love and joy to yourself. I know. I was a drug addict. And do you know why I was a drug addict? Because I grew up thinking God was always with me. I knew he was with me. And I did mighty exploits as a kid because I knew he was with me. And one day I had a traumatic experience. And you know what he said to me? Was it God or was it you, Greg? And all of a sudden... I thought, it was never God. It was always me. And from that moment on, I, could, could, I dealt with the angst that I felt for a long time, but eventually I couldn't sit in torment anymore. I started trying to give myself peace. You know how I started trying to give myself peace? Drugs. Alcohol. Because I couldn't deal with the thought that God wasn't with me anymore. And no one had told me that God conquered death in the flesh. No one told me that the only sign you live by is the sign of the resurrection. It's a wicked and perverse generation that seeks a sign, Jesus said. And one sign shall be given them, the sign of Jonah in the belly's whale, which is that the whale spit Jonah out of the belly, out of the darkness. There's one sign we live by, by, guys, when we think of whether or not God's with us. It's the resurrection of Jesus. A great light has shined in the midst of the valley of those who were walking in darkness. And that light that shined is that the Father raised Jesus up out of the grave. That's the only sign we live by. First John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every person that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. The purification there. John's talking about our hearts being purified from fear. In the very next chapter, he talks about God replacing the fear that was in our hearts with his love. Perfect love casts out fear. A famous verse in the Christian world. Maybe you heard it. I don't know. And so the purification John's talking about, every man who has this hope in them is purified. Purified from what? The fear that the serpent uses to take us captive. How are you purified from that fear? Well, does everybody agree Jesus is pure? Do you know what it means that Jesus is pure? We've gotten so focused on behavior, we don't even know what Jesus is pure. Do you think Jesus is pure means that he doesn't do anything bad anymore? And if Jesus is pure, when was he undefiled? Or when was he defiled? Oh. <laughs> 
Jesus is pure means there's no death in him. Jesus was raised from the dead. He was cleansed from death, never to be able to be defiled by death again. That's what it means that he's pure. He possesses a sinless life. He possesses a sinless life. A sinless life is not a life where you never do anything wrong anymore. A sinless life is a life that's been cleansed from death. If you believed on the Lord Jesus, you've been cleansed from death. You've been baptized in an incorruptible life. There's a consuming fire in you that will consume every remnant of death that ever tries to come against your life. He has a sinless life. It's not subject to moth or rust. There's no spots and blemishes in Jesus' life. It's a pure life. It can never be touched by death again. He's clothed in immortal flesh that can never be touched by death again. Now, John says everyone who has the Son. Yes. It's real clear. Yes. Everyone who has the Son has this same life. Right. What kind of life? A sinless life. Everybody who has the Son has his sinless life, a life that's been cleansed from death. It can never be defiled by death again. This world can come and nail me to a cross, and it cannot defile my life with death because there's a life in me that defiled death when it came out of the grave and left the death in the grave. There's a life in me that disrespects death. I grew up in the seedy part of town. In Louisiana, we had this bad saying. I don't rejoice in it now, but we would say, I'm from the murder cap of the world, and we're rowdy, rowdy. I started realizing Jesus is a bad dude. That's right. I used to go play basketball in the streets in New Orleans, even when I was a young minister. And they were like, you a minister? And they was, Master P was a big thing in New Orleans. And I told them, Jesus is the original no-limit soldier. Because Master P's slogan was, we true soldiers, we don't die. We keep rolling, na, 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 na. Master P grew up in an area in the inner city of New Orleans where 50% of the men died by the time they were 18. And that was their slogan. And when I heard them saying that, I told them, Jesus is the original no-limit soldier. He don't die. He keep rolling, na, 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 na. They like to fall over on themselves. Receive ye the Lord Jesus. Immediately they could identify with the Lord. Do you know why? Do you know what's stinging those guys' life in the inner city? Death. And now they could see this same death came to the house of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus disrespected that death. And they could identify with that. Yeah. We about to get down. I came to get down. Jesus came to get down. That sinless life will purify your heart from fear. When you see God has come and cared for your life by giving you of himself a life that overcomes death in the flesh, your heart will be purified from fear by his love. Because his love is found in what he did to conquer death in the flesh. That's why John says, what manner of love has the Father bestowed on us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God? He's talking about God conquering death inside of the flesh of the Son of Man, Jesus. And when he saw that God conquered death inside of the Son of Man, Jesus, it can only mean one thing. The Father loves us. He's come for us. Come home. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? We all know these verses, don't we? 
Jesus, if you notice how Jesus reacts to them or what he begins, he makes a point to identify with mankind. He calls himself the son of man. He doesn't say, who do people say the Christ is? Who do people say the son of man is? He's identifying with mankind. And he's making a point to identify himself with mankind. You guys see me standing here? I come in the likeness of sinful flesh. I've never sinned, but I'm clothed in a perishable body, just like you guys are clothed in a perishable body. You guys are the son of man. I'm also the son of man. I'm clothed in the same perishable flesh that you guys are clothed in now. Who do you say I am? I love Peter because he's brash. He just speaks right up. Peter, don't think about it, right? This is what it is. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God, he says. And Jesus says some things in there, but I'm running out of time, so I want to focus on this. Jesus says something powerful. He says, upon that revelation, my church will be built. Upon the revelation that the Son of Man is the Son of God, my body will be built. And then he says, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against that. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the revelation that the Son of Man is the Son of God. In Jesus was life, and the light was the light of men. And to all those who grab the hold of the life that was in the Lord Jesus, they shall receive strength to overcome the death that's in this world and appear as the sons and daughters of God. You know what the word hell is in, in Greek? Hades. 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 Depending on your accent, where I'm from, Hades. <laughs> Hades. Do you know what that word means in the Greek? The place of the dead. It means the grave. It means death. And the gates of hell that Jesus is talking about is the works of the devil. The purpose of the devil cannot stand against the revelation that the Son of Man is the Son of God. And I promise you, the gates of hell came to stand against that revelation at the cross. Why didn't the works of the devil have anything in Jesus? Because Jesus said, the prince of this world's coming to me and he has nothing in me. He can't fill me with fear. Can't do it. It's not possible. And do you know why? It's because the life Jesus had while he was in this world, guess what? It wasn't from this world. He didn't have a corruptible life. He didn't have a spotted life. He had a sinless life inside of the body that could die. He had a life that could never die. He was that incorruptible seed. He was the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the very life of God manifested in this earth, clothed in a bodysuit that could die. And so when Satan used death against him, he's busy thinking, but I got a life that overcomes the grave. You come and talking to me about the grave. Don't you know I'm the light that entered the world in Genesis when darkness and chaos were upon the face of the deep? Don't you know that I'm the light that entered the earth and gave the earth shape and form and brought forth order out of the midst of chaos? You think I'm scared of the chaos of the cross? It's for this purpose I come. Because there's one coming greater than the likeness of the David to decapitate Goliath. I'm coming as the one that prophesied of to decapitate the death that's uncovering the nakedness of my people. I'm just, I don't know if you guys realize I'm just a little excited about the resurrection. <laughs> you have to understand I've been a Christian pretty much my whole life since I was three years old. I'd even been in ministry and been to Bible school and been having a church for like five years when God said, you've considered the resurrection lately, Greg. What? 
I spent my whole life considering it. I don't think so, Greg. Look again. So Jesus suffered at the hands of the same death mankind was suffering. Hebrews says he partook with us in flesh and blood. Just as the children had partaken of death, he come and partook in it with us. And he thought it was fitting. He was not ashamed to come and have his nakedness uncovered. He was not ashamed to be seen with us, uncovered with us. He was not ashamed. First Peter would say that Jesus was put to death in the flesh. Well, guess what? Like I've said, it wasn't possible for death to hold Jesus. The scripture says that. You know why it wasn't possible for death to hold Jesus? Because he is that incorruptible seed that the Father sowed into the earth. He is the resurrection and the life. The prince of this world came to Jesus, but he didn't have anything in Jesus. Jesus took the bite of the serpent, the death that is the serpent's bite, into himself. He went into the grave, but because he is that eternal life that was with the Father from the beginning, the grave couldn't hold him, and he came out. He entered into the place of the dead. He entered into the devil's house and spoiled his house and spoiled his goods and left his house unto him desolate. No one could open the gates of Hades. Jesus kicked it open. And he didn't just kick it open. It says when he opened, no man shuts. He took back the keys of Hades. And he gave us the sure mercies of David. He gave us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He conquered death in the flesh. That's how he took back the keys of hate. <laughs> uh, the life Jesus has in himself took vengeance on death. It brought a plague to fear because it consumed the death that was filling us with fear. You see any death in Jesus' body? <laughs> well, whose life do you have? Well, why are we looking in the world to determine what the substance of our life is? That's what's filling us with fear. That's what's taking us captive. That's what's causing us to try to clothe ourselves. Mm. Jesus says in Matthew 16, He'll give us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever things we shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever things we shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I always thought that was weird. What do you mean? I'm going to bind stuff here and then it will become bound in heaven? I'm not, what, are you, what are you talking about, bro? When you look at that in the Greek, that's not what it says. It says that which has been bound in heaven, you can bind on the earth. And that which has been loosed in heaven, you can loose in the earth. That's what it means to have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And so what is bound in heaven? And when you think about heaven, I want you to think about the body of the Lord Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Do you know what's bound in heaven? Death in the flesh. Death has been bound in the flesh of Jesus. Do you know what's been loosed in heaven? The incorruptible life of God has been loosed inside of the flesh of the man, Jesus, and been poured out on all flesh in the earth. The Apostle Paul, or yes, the Apostle Paul says Jesus led captivity captive when he ascended on high. Death. He led death captive when he appeared in the presence of God as a man. And as a man who could inherit the kingdom of God. Because this is a man that didn't try to clothe himself with life. It's a man that in the place when he needed life. And he felt the full weight of death come upon him. He never once tried to give himself peace. He never once tried to give himself love. But he said, Father, into your hands I commit my life. 
And now he had the power to appear in the presence of heaven as a man for mankind and receive the life of God inside of human flesh. Jesus gave us the keys to, the, to heaven. That means we're witnesses in the earth of the resurrection. We're witnesses in the earth that God is with us having overcome death in the flesh. When this whole COVID thing went down, I got so upset watching the body of Christ. That's the moment we should have been standing up and not standing up and saying that this COVID is a sign God's not here. This COVID is a sign that He's angry with us because of our sin and He's abandoned us. What we needed to be doing was standing up and saying this COVID is not a sign God isn't with us. We see God with us in the resurrection. He gave us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We have the authority to loosen incorruptible life in this place and rebuke the devourer. That's what needed to be happening in the big gatherings at the Capitol. We carry the testimony of the Father's love. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that he has poured out of himself onto us, his most precious gift, his life. We judge things by how rare they are, don't we? The more rare they are, the more precious they are. Stamps, comic books, coins cars Paul said God's the only immortal it's the most rare thing there is and what did he do he saw fit to come and give it to us when we were dead in sin not when we were godly not when we were getting it right when we were dead in sin he saw fit to come and give us of himself his most precious gift an incorruptible life that's the testimony we carry we aren't preaching words of man's wisdom. We come declaring the word of a life that overcomes death in the flesh. We come declaring to people that the devil's house is left unto him desolate. We are loosing people from the pangs of death. We are loosing people from their grave crows by declaring the word of a life that conquers sin and death. That's, how you, that's what you're doing. You loose people from the grave, grave clothes. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come forth. Do you know what has people in grave clothes? Different forms of death. Yeah. You know how you call them out of their grave clothes? You declare a life that conquers death. Yeah. And you declare how it comes from the hand of the Father. <laughs> That's how you bind the power of the strong man. His weapon is death. Well, you come and talk about a life that consumed death to the uttermost, so much so that you can't even see it anymore in the body of Jesus. You bind the strong man in people's lives. That's how Jesus bound the strong man. Acts 1.8. How much time I got? 15 minutes. Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You shall receive power. You know those dudes were scared senseless before the Holy Spirit was poured out? Peter didn't even want to admit he knew Jesus. If you keep reading in front of the first chapter of Acts, it says that they received power on high. Do you know for what purpose? To be witnesses of the resurrection. That's what the early church was doing. They were going around by the power of an indestructible life. And they were declaring the word of a life that conquered the grave, that conquered death. And they weren't afraid of the death they encountered in this world. They were filled with boldness because their hearts had been purified from fear. 
And so this same Peter who didn't even want to say he knew Jesus because he was scared of death is now all of a sudden out there. What you going to do to me? Because he was baptized in the fire of a life that consumes death. Death can't hold you. Death can't hold me. We're busy living like it can. We're busy walking around in this earth as if every single thing that happens or goes wrong can take life from us. Well, can it take life from Jesus? No. Then whose life do you have? How can you say it can take your life if it can't take life from Jesus? We are not one body with the sin and the death that's in this earth. We are not one flesh with the weakness in this earth. We are not one flesh with the corruption in this world. We are one body with God and his indestructible life through the body of Jesus Christ. Whose life do you have? I remember I was lamenting with God one day about all the harmful things everybody was doing to me. And I was real upset. You want somebody to be upset with you. I was talking to him about all the harm my life was coming under. And he said, Greg, yeah, I see all that. I get it. I got one question for you. Whose life do you have? I didn't realize that when I weighed my life in the balance, I considered everything around me instead of the life I see in the man Jesus seated at the right hand of God. All of a sudden, when I began living by the knowledge of the Son of God, instead of the knowledge of good and evil, I no longer felt like anyone could hurt my life. I no longer felt like my life was being harmed even when people tried to nail me to a tree. A magical thing happened. I say it's magical because it's like with man, it's impossible. But I found myself loving people that hated me. I found myself being more concerned about the people doing things to destroy me than I was myself. And I realized I had been baptized. Now, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was three. But I realized I come into the knowledge of what that meant. Filled with boldness. Their hearts were purified with fear because they were immersed in a life that makes sin and death bow down. They were immersed in a life that makes sin and death bow down. Do you know why people are hurting? Because they think they lack what they need for life and godliness. Do you know why they think they lack what they need for life and godliness? They're identifying with the life in the world. They're not identifying with the life that's seated at the right hand of God in Jesus Christ. Because I promise you one thing. Every time you look at Jesus and say, his life is my life, do you know what it will testify to you? Your life is very good. You know what will happen every time you look into the world to identify your life? Do you know what the world will tell you? One thing you lack. One thing you lack that if you can get, then you can have the peace that you long for. One thing. Jesus prays in Matthew 6, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. There's a certain life in heaven. I've been talking about it all night. A sinless life. A life that is without spot or blemish. A life that is not at the mercy of the weakness of mortal flesh. The life of God does not need the things in the world to go right for it to produce peace and love and joy in you. It changed my life when I realized I had a life that wasn't at the mercy of the people around me or the world around me. 
because I was living as if it was. And you know what happens? You spend all your days trying to get people to act right. And then you spend all your days upset with all the people that didn't act right. And then you blame them for all the areas that you say you lack life. Well, that's the indication you're busy with the dust life. The life that's been born from the earth instead of the life that's been born from above. Because I promise you, the life of God is not at the mercy of the people around it to have peace and love and joy. <laughs> Jesus was filled with peace and love and joy when he was nailed to the tree. How? And if that doesn't make sense to you, then you're like me. Because that's what I told God. That doesn't make any sense to me. That was the beginning of a massive revelation. Tell him. I don't get it. I don't get it. There's a life in heaven that utterly consumes sin and death in the flesh to the point it no longer can exist. That's the life we see in Jesus. We have that life now in these earthen vessels. I said you have that life now in these earthen vessels. No, no, no. I don't think you understand. I said you have that life now in these earthen vessels. The sin and death in this world is seated under your feet. We call heaven into the earth by declaring the life we see in the body of Christ seated at the right hand of God. That's how you call heaven down into the earth. You declare the Christ who possesses a sinless life inside of human flesh. You declare that life in the earth. You rebuke the devourer. You're calling down heaven into the earth. We open up the heaven to all people by pointing to them and declaring to them the word of a life that overcomes death in the flesh. You're opening up the heavens to all people in this earth, declaring to them a life that has conquered the corruption in this earth. That's what they need. If the world is stinging you, trying to clothe you in grave clothes, I'm here to be a witness, a witness of the resurrection. I see the Son of Man. I see in Him a life that overcomes death in the flesh. I see the Son of Man that is the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. And I hear Him saying to you, come out of the grave. I hear him saying to Jay, come out of the grave. I hear him saying to Sue, come out of those grave clothes. I hear him saying to John, come out of the grave. I hear him saying to Timothy, come out of the grave. Death has been bound in the body of Jesus. Sin has been bound in the body of his death and his resurrection. You are not one flesh with sin. You are not one flesh with death. You are not one flesh with the weakness in this world. You are not one flesh with the governments of this world. You are not one flesh with the viruses in this world. You are not one flesh with the corruption in this world. You are one flesh with God and His indestructible life. And the reason you are one flesh with Him is because of the body of Jesus' resurrection. That's the power of the gospel. That you're dead to the world and the world to you. This is the beginning of the Pauline revelation. I was crucified with Christ. I had fellowship with his sufferings. I saw the faith in his heart when he was nailed to the tree. And I saw in his heart, he said, my life is not born from this world. My life is born from above. And now I live in this earth by the faith that was in the Son of God's heart when he was nailed to the tree. I'm dead to the world and the world to me. When I look at my life, the power behind my life is not the strength in the world. The power behind my life is the very Christ that conquered death never to be able to die again. Amen. Amen. 
by the power of God's Christ and his indestructible life. Rise up and walk by the power of a life that overcomes the grave. Receive ye strength. Receive ye strength. By the power of a life that makes everything crooked straight. Stand up straight. By the power of a life that brings forth order in the midst of chaos, let the chaos be far removed from you. By the power of a life that shines in the midst of darkness and removes the darkness to where it can't be there anymore, let the darkness clear in your life. By the power of a life that swaddles you from the blood of death, let your life be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. If there's anybody watching online that maybe hasn't received Jesus or anybody here that hasn't received Jesus, he's not indifferent to your suffering. He's grieved. And I mean like he's hurt. And he's not hurting for you like you're a dog. Like I feel sad when my dog hurts. But that's pity. He doesn't pity you. He hurts with you. And he's grieved at your suffering. And he's come to seal you with his indestructible life, to save you from that which hurts you, to save your life from the death that's in this world. He came to pitch an ark for you that is pitched within and without by his very life, to heal you, to save you, to preserve you, to protect you. That's the God we believe on. That's the God. Call upon his name. That's it. Call upon his name. Tell them you need life, you need peace, you need joy, and you've spent all your days trying to get it and you can't. It's His good pleasure to give it to you. Commit your life into His hands today. You know what it means to call upon the name of the Lord? When you look at that in the Greek, it means to allow someone else to surname you. God came to place His name behind your name. And all He's asking you is, will you let me wash your feet? Will you let me serve you with my life? We're so busy trying to serve God, but we worship a God that came and wouldn't let us serve Him, but told Peter, you have no part in me unless I wash your feet. If you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, God has poured out the Holy Spirit on all flesh. If you don't know whether there is a such thing as the Holy Spirit, if you don't know whether you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you can just tell God that you know the Spirit of His life has been poured out on all flesh, and you want His Spirit to dwell inside of this body. In the name of Jesus, be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. That's it. Thank you guys for letting me behave like a madman.